its voice as well as its feature. At the passing of the breeze, the fir trees sob and moan no less distinctly than they rock. The holly whistles as it battles with itself. The ash hisses amid its quiverings. The beech rustles while its flat boughs rise and fall. And winter, which modifies the note of such trees, uh, does not destroy its individuality. Just one more snippet. Uh, here's Herman Hess in 1918. He was a particular favorite of Jane Goodall's. Uh, she writes, this is translation, but uh, Herman Hess says, For me, trees have always been the most penetrating preachers. I revere them when they live in tribes and families, in forests and groves, and even more, I revere them when they stand alone. They are like lonely persons, not like hermits who have stolen away out of some weakness, but like great solitary men, like Beethoven and Nietzsche. In their highest boughs, the world rustles. Their roots rest in infinity. But they do not lose themselves there. They struggle with all the force of their lives for one thing only, to fulfill themselves according to their own laws, to build up their own form, to represent themselves. That's fascinating. I, I think this book, as I say, would be a wonderful uh, textbook. I don't like the word textbook, but anyway, to take to the classroom and ask uh, the students to go out and pick a tree, name a tree. Uh, there's some, as I said, beautiful pictures here. Uh, this book, Jane's book, has two huge sections of uh, color, yes, photos in color. And uh, it's amazing. I, I think what is it? It's not. They're not just surreal. <laughs> they're uh, they're just unbelievable. Anyway, she she talks a little bit about Julia Butterfly Hill. You remember Julia Butterfly Hill? She was the one who spent seven hundred and thirty eight days living up in the branches of a tall redwood. It was one hundred and eighty feet tall, Luna. Anyway, there's a picture in the book of. Uh, Julia Butterfly Hill in May 1999. That tree was in Stafford, California. And she's trying to prevent the clear-cutting of those uh, trees. Actually, Laura, yesterday, Laura and I drove out to, would you believe, El Sobrante yesterday. My, my oldest son has bought a house out there, and it's got a redwood tree in the backyard. Did you remember? Was that the well, yeah, one? Yeah, yeah, I saw that. I, he's, I finally got a redwood tree in the family. Now, I feel very, very, uh, what do you call that? Uh, I, I feel a little bit pompous, you know. Uh, I have a sort of redwood tree. I mean, it isn't mine. It's his redwood tree or God's redwood tree. Never mind. I, I think... It's funny, I didn't pay any attention uh, to what was in the house. I paid attention to the 
the trees. There was a Japanese maple, that kind of thing. Uh, apple tree. Never mind. I digress. Uh, let's see if we can hear a little bit more of yeah, Jane. Well, well, first, Jennifer, we should also remind people that it's our... Money. Yes. <laughs> uh, it is our spring fund drive, and we're trying to raise money to keep KPFA alive, to pay our expenses here. People might remember that... Speaking of Julia Butterfly Hill, that when she was up in that tree, we were doing interviews with her pretty regularly here on KPFA. So that's the kind of thing, the kind of connections that KPFA has with with people struggling to to save old growth trees and you know all sorts of environmental causes that we can bring to the air that other stations who might be compromised by their commerciality wouldn't be able to do. So we do need to ask for your help today, and you can get as gifts for donating to help us out here at KPFA this wonderful book by Jane Goodall, Seeds of Hope, uh, Wisdom and Wonder from the World of Plants. That's for a $150 donation. You can get that book. Um, we also have this event that we've been playing uh, a little uh, bit of excerpts from uh, Jane Goodall on CD, audio CD. That would be for a $75 pledge to KPFA right now. Yeah, that's or, the smallest. That's a good one, $75 right. for this. Yeah, or the video for uh, a $100 pledge. Or, uh, you know, any amount of donation is helpful to KPFA at this point. So you can you can do that right now by calling 510 848 Five seven three two or one eight hundred Hey KPFA or four three nine five seven three two. You can ask the people in the phone room, you know, to go over those figures, decide how much you want to spend uh, for um, these things. I want the DVD. I like videos. I'm ashamed to say it, but <laughs> I like this book and I like the video. The CD is the most economical, if that's uh, an issue here. Never mind. I wanted to talk about the Irish famine and I wanted to talk about all these other things. Jabber, jabber, jabber. I think, oh, all about tea and coffee and cocoa. She also talks about marijuana and opium in there. Oh, right. You know, I always go, uh, I haven't finished this book. I've read most of it, but I, there's one chapter here I missed. The secret when you're reading a nonfiction book is to go immediately to the index. Uh, it's not cheating. It's just that it gives you this wonderful scattershot view of what's in the book. You know, there are all these little personal private things right next to these heavy-duty things. You know, there's Sir Walter Raleigh right next to deforestation, that kind of thing. <laughs> you know. Anyway, I think, yeah, I think the stuff I liked best was, well, Jane as a little girl in Bournemouth, and she's exactly my age, and I just think it's amazing the ground she's covered in 80 years, uh, and that she's still out there going strong. I don't know how she does it. I, I am in awe uh, looking at the uh, these beautiful pictures in color. Uh, there's a wonderful picture here. I'd like to blow it up. It's a uh, 
the thousand varieties of potato descended from a single wild ancestor that grew in Peru and Bolivia. My God, they, they look like jewels, uh, representing an important food, blah, blah, blah. But, of course, then it goes on to give a hideous description of what the potatoes looked like when that rot came. And in 1845, a million people died uh, and it wasn't it wasn't the plant's fault. It was the guys in England who wouldn't send any food over there. And there's a wonderful section on wheat. You remember over there in the Fertile Crescent. That's where wheat got started and the world population exploded. Let's hear something from Jane. Okay. But uh, before we go back, let's, uh, I just want to give out the number one more time. You can get uh, Jane Goodall's event on CD for $75.00. On DVD, the video for $100 or the book for a $150 donation to KPFA right now by calling 510-848-5732. We'd love to see a couple callers on the line. That's 510-848-5732. If you forget Let's the number, it's 1-800-H-E-Y-K-P-F-A. 1-800-H-E-Y-K-P-F-A. That way you can, you know... Think of the you can find the numbers later if you've forgotten them. One eight hundred four three nine fifty seven thirty two, and you can ask the people in the phone room uh, what the what the amounts are for what you want. Uh, we wanted to thank today's food donors, the High Wire Coffee Roasters, um, Be Healthy Honey, <laughs> okay, Bobby G's Pizzeria. Uh, Cabot Creamery Cooperative, you can get a t-shirt, you can get, oh, you can get a free bumper sticker, there you go. I knew there was <laughs> one freebie. something free. Yes. Tell uh, us, yeah, tell us what we're going to hear. Uh, well, we're just going to hear a, a little bit more of Jane Goodall speaking um, in Berkeley at King Middle School. Well, it was uh, less exciting to go into the story of agriculture. And I think we had no intention of going into this story at the beginning, but we got drawn into it because after all, you know, we eat plants, we eat so many plants. And so learning about the early days of agriculture, the gradual domestication of plants, how this changed the whole structure of human society and, and thus history. And then, of course, we go through the terrible times of the plantations, the exploitation in foreign countries of the people, the slavery, the export of slaves, the imprisonment of slaves, and the plantations in um, Virginia, Carolina, and down south in the United States, the tobacco, the cotton, and so forth. Terrible, terrible days, terrible suffering. And, of course, the 12 Years a Slave is a recent film which really does give some, some picture of how these people suffered. In fact, when I was just in Senegal about two months ago, I met in the middle of nowhere a party of 12 African Americans who were out there looking for their roots because, of course, they'd come over, their ancestors had come over as slaves. And so that was a very dark period of human history. And then after World War II, along comes what's now known as conventional agriculture, 
I personally think conventional agriculture is the kind that people have been, the, the small farmers in, in the developing world and over here, just growing on their farms, nurturing the land, allowing it to lie fallow, keeping, making sure that the, the fertility of the soil, the health of the soil is maintained. But then along come these chemicals, all discovered by, by, by um, chemists and, and by, um, botanists working on looking for chemical weapons. And oh, this is the great new way. We can use this to kill the insects. We can use some of these to kill the agricultural weeds. Um, we can use it to kill the fungus that's destroying the plants. And so comes this conventional uh, agriculture, which has led to monocultures, which has led to the destruction of huge areas of our land, and is now uh, it, it, farmers are doing monocultures right across the entire world. And we get things like the oil, oil palm plantations to get the to get the oil, which is destroying huge areas of forest, and. We've already heard about genetically modified food, and I think one of the frightening things about that is that although the proponents will argue that this is a nice, precise science, so that this is making growing of agricultural crops so precise, and therefore we can feed the whole world with these, with these plants, and in fact the science is not precise. And in fact, it cannot be predicted what happens when you finally manage to insert the genes of some alien thing like a jellyfish into a plant. It's a very, very frightening process. And uh, I won't dwell on that, but we all know how cutting down the forests is affecting climate change. We know how the trees are the absorb uh, and sequester large amounts of CO2, and when the trees are clear-cut, the CO2 is escaping into the atmosphere along with CO2 that was stored in the forest soils. And so there's a very definite effect of deforestation on accelerating climate change. There's another aspect to climate change which is tied up with our food production, and that is that as more and more animals um, are needed to feed a growing supply of meat, uh, de desire for meat, so huge areas of forest are cut simply to grow grain to feed all these animals. And sometimes cows are grazing. I've seen whole areas in Argentina, for example, and Panama that were thick forests and you go back after four years and there's not many trees left because of the effect of cattle grazing in the forest. I just met that in Senegal. So none of the young trees can grow. And not only that, but because more and more and more animals are being bred to, to raise more and more meat, this means this means that uh, the process of digestion, what do you want to call it? The breaking of wind, uh, <laughs> farting. You tell me what I should call it. But it produces methane. And methane is a much more potent uh, greenhouse gas than CO2 even. 
And the effect of these billions of animals is really making a big difference to the accumulation of methane in the greenhouse gases. It's not the only source of methane, but it's a very major one. And so eating meat turns out to be having some effect on climate change. And you heard about the recent UN report. Uh, but, you know, isn't Mother Nature telling us something? The worst winter on the east coast of North America, the wettest winter in, in the United Kingdom. I went past fields that I've known ever since I was a child on my way from home to London to the airport, and now there are swans on them, swimming. And that's how bad it is. So it stopped raining, but the water is so waterlogged that the, that the flood water can't drain away. And it's caused unspeakable suffering and it's been extremely expensive for the government and for people and for the cities. And then the worst typhoon to ever hit land devastated the Philippines. And the, the droughts and the forest fires are worse than they've ever been in parts of Australia, parts of sub-Saharan Africa, the drought in California. You've always had droughts in California, but uh, it seems to be getting progressively worse. And there are not so many people now who are climate change deniers. I think people who deny climate change, and you know, let's get it straight, there probably are cycles, well there have been cycles, when the surface of the globe warms and then cools, warms and then cools. But almost every scientist now, every serious scientist, believes that we humans have accelerated the process of heating up the surface of the globe. And then people say, yes, but it's getting colder, so, so global warming can't be real. We don't talk about global warming, we talk about climate change because of the effects of um, the, the melting ice and so forth. But it's a frightening picture. And hope, well, we heard about hope. And there are many, many people who've given up hope there are many botanists, uh, scientists who say, well, this planet, let's liken it to a big ship. And there's a lookout up there, and he sees rocks ahead. And everybody runs to try and turn the wheel to help the captain, but it's too late because the momentum of that big ship is such that there will be a shipwreck. And I've heard people compare planet Earth to that. But the hope here lies in the resilience of nature. And there isn't quite a lot in the book about the resilience of nature, the places that we've made bare and ugly, give a chance and the plants will come back. The plants are terrific at being the first bits of life to recolonate an area that has been totally devastated. And there are amazing stories about that in the book. The restoration of the forest around Gombe, we didn't plant trees. They grew back from the seeds that had been lying dormant in the soil after years of being farmed and over-farmed, soil losing its fertility. Give it chance. Nature is so resilient. And so hope is a very strong component of this book. And as you heard, seeds... Well, seeds are so resilient. I met the woman who nurtured this date seed that was found in the ruins of King Herod's Mountain Fortress, carbon dated 2,000 years. I've seen the tree. It's growing. It's healthy. And 
the way that some uh, horticulturists have worked and take there's one story where a seed three seeds were found they weren't viable but there were live cells in them and from those live cells the plant was reproduced sort of cloning I suppose I haven't gone into the the mechanics of how all these magic things are done and I'm sure you read about the 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 little plant that was found deep down in the permafrost it was said to come from the nest of an ice age squirrel and from that material again cells were were able to reproduce that that stone age plant it's pretty remarkable what can happen and the seed banks I've been into the Millennium Seed Bank. It's an amazing place with hundreds and thousands of seeds stored, going through the process where the seeds come in, where they're sorted, where they're cleaned, where they're tested, and then they're stored away, and then every so often a few are taken out and tested to see if they're still viable. So it's a magic world. It's a world that I found out so much about. And little sort of nuggets of fun like plants, trees, caterpillars infest them. Well, the tree puts out pheromone-like chemicals so that other trees of that species nearby immediately make toxins into their leaves so the caterpillars can be repelled when the next hatching occurs. That's magic. And down there under the ground, the roots are coated with these microfungi and they're communicating with each other and they too can send messages. And one plant can inform another plant of some kind of environmental hazard. So it's been a magical journey for me. And now I think it's time for questions. But um, I just hope that if you do get this book, you'll have as much fascination and have as much just sense of the magic of that world out there and what we have to do to protect it. And that's the voice of uh, Jane Goodall speaking in Berkeley. Uh, something that we're, we're offering to you today as a part of KPFA's uh, Spring Fun Drive, a way for you to support the station and to get uh, a gift in return from us uh, for, for your donating to keep this listener-sponsored, non-commercial, independent radio network alive. Uh, you can get that speech, Jane Goodall, uh, speaking on CD for a $75 pledge to KPFA. We also have it on video. You can get a DVD version for a $100 pledge to KPFA. And the book that she's speaking about, her most recent book, Seeds of Hope, Wisdom and Wonder from the World of Plants. And that's a $150 donation to KPFA. You can also get any combination CD book, DVD book. You can talk to the people in the phone room about those combos. Uh, so you can do that right now, either online at kpfa.org. Also, we have people waiting in the phone room, so it would be great to see a couple callers. Uh, you can give us a call at 510-848-5732 or 1-800-439-5732. I'm looking at the chapter on uses and abuses of plants, marijuana, weed, pot. <laughs> anyway... This is fascinating stuff. Um, Jane Goodall doesn't uh, 
partake herself. But there's a beautiful picture of the seed pod of the opium poppy. Let's see. It oozes white goo used to make opium. And uh, someone called it the storage vessel for the dreams of the damned. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I don't I don't think so. Although it is true, you know, that some people went over the edge. Laudanum is my favorite, um, what do you call that, uh, romantic poison. The uh, stories about it in the 19th century are terrific. Anyway, it is true that we are in an age of extinction and terrible dark days. And as Jane Goodall says, uh, these crimes of our species may be just... The beginning of the end, and the ship is on the rocks and all that good stuff, but she has all kinds of suggestions uh, for what can be done, how to fix things. I can't find the name of this wonderful African woman who won a Nobel Peace Prize because she planted a million trees in Kenya. <laughs> anyway, unbelievable stuff. And then, let's see, uh, I was looking for... The first, yeah, the first marijuana, 4,737 years ago in in uh, China. Uh, one thing I did want to mention, people, about global warming. Uh, the year of living dangerously is now on HBO. And uh, they have everybody, oh, all the celebrities like Harrison Ford running around the world and telling uh, the uh, leaders of... <laughs> other countries, you know, to shape up. That's pretty funny. Uh, anyway, the uh, the material on Year of Living Dangerously is uh, cutting edge. Also, there's another program on HBO called Vice. And if you're the sort of person who really likes to uh, follow <laughs> all the little horrors, I call it the disaster de jour, every morning there's a new uh, a new headache. Anyway, those two shows cover it pretty well. Uh, what I like in this book is the wild medicinal plants, what the shamans use. Uh, ancient Greek historians tell us all these special uses. I think of, ah, uh, uh, yes, the Delphic Oracle. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether that was plants. They say that was some kind of vapor coming out of the earth. But anyway, it's a special spot in Greece where people go to get drunk. Somebody said it was probably uh, an extract um, from plants, but it may be toxic. Uh, oh, Jane's group in Tanzania is called Roots and Shoots. That's her own NGO. She has an institute, obviously, uh, she is what I would call uh, a messenger, a major figure. I, As I say, I can't imagine where she gets the energy. But this book needs to be in the schools, and I'm sure it will be. Uh, she's an original, definitely. Let me see. Uh, well, we should should give that that number. Yeah, we one more time, time. Just we are kind of almost time. It's almost time for hard knock oh, here. Oh, oh, yeah, we've coming run out up of time. and about. We we've have just a, just about two minutes to go. Um, 
but you can get Jane Goodall's book and and also the speech that we were just talking about as uh, for a donation to KPFA at 510-848-5732. We did have a couple callers on the line. A couple more would be great before the end. 1-800-439-5732 is the Thanks. number to call. Thanks to Don Durth in San Francisco and Cynthia DiMartini in San Francisco and others who didn't wish to be named. They are so modest. Anyway, uh, the book, once again, is a big hardback at uh, $26.99. <laughs> Seeds of Hope by Jane Goodall. And it's... Uh, it's a tome. It's a big book, uh, but it's all about uh, her love for the natural world. She is a child of nature herself, and I think the picture of the ghost tree and a picture of a tree called Methuselah, dated 4,843 years old. Yes, I want to blow those up, put them on my icebox along with... A wonderful portrait I've had since Earth Day 1970. It's a picture of Bette Midler, and she's dressed as a tree. And it says, make Mother Earth your Messiah. (laughs) I guess making it funny kind of helps. But these living ancient trees are the things that are the most, uh, not just magical. They they make me feel that... uh, there is something something here that I don't understand. The notion that uh, anything can live for 4,000 years. <laughs> Keep going. Uh, the seeds. I want a couple of these seeds that are still germinating. You know, they found them in graves and buried and after. Here we go. We're off. Okay. 1-800-HEY-KPFA, guys. 1-800-HEY-KPFA. It's yep. been Jennifer Stone with my uh, Tuesday rant. I'll be back next Tuesday. Rants more. And uh, I hope till then you go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. And you are listening to 94.1. KPFA in Berkeley, 89.3. KPFB in Berkeley, 